We are preaching through the Bible and we're in Philippians today. Philippians, let's set the scene of the book. It's, it's writing and the church in Philippi are wrapped around several other stories in scripture. And so we need to place it in context. Paul established this congregation. He worked there twice. He visited there more often, five or six times at least, but twice he stayed for considerable lengths of time. This church helped support him in mission work, which was amazing. Because you see, it was this church that was so poor that it called out to him to come help them. He was, this is uh, where, all right, let me back up. Acts 16, Paul has a vision. He's wanting to go one way, but he gets a vision. A man from Macedonia says, please come here and help us. That's the church in Philippi. He goes to them. He sets that up. His first converts there seem to have been Lydia, the businesswoman, and the converted jailer. When Paul left Philippi, he left behind Luke. And in fact, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, if you watch and pay attention, after that passage in Acts 16, it is we before, afterwards, it is he. Because he talks about Paul now, because Luke is no longer with him. Luke is at Philippi. Paul was in, in fact, in Rome and not in a good position. He was under house arrest and that was about to deteriorate into prison, a series of long trials and his death. He knew that was coming. While in Rome, in prison, he wrote this book. Epaphroditus, a young man would come over, get very sick while he was there, finally get better, and then he'd be sent back home with this book the book of Philippians, written by the guy that established that church, who is now in prison, facing what he is fairly certain is going to be death, and it turned out to be death. Paul, in fact, knows he's unlikely to leave prison. He knows that's where he's headed, and the sad fact is, he was in prison because other believers didn't like him and stirred up the authorities against him. He wasn't in prison because the Romans didn't like him. He wasn't in prison because of the culture of the day. He was in prison because other believers stirred up trouble against Paul and accused him of things. And the Romans didn't really care if he'd committed a crime or not. All they cared about was keeping the peace. And if it meant killing one or 5,000 innocent people to keep the peace, they would just do that in a heartbeat. And so, all right, if he's stirring up trouble, will remove him. What was Paul's attitude? Look at this in chapter 1, starting at verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Think about this. 
If Christians today had that attitude, they would never attack other Christians ever under any circumstance. There would go the internet, or a lot of it. There would go a lot of Twitter. There would go a lot of open letters, all open letters as far as I can tell. There would go all of that because they would say, you know something, even if I totally disagree with that person and the only reason they're preaching is to cause me trouble, they're preaching and people are hearing the name of Christ and I trust Christ and the Holy Spirit to do with this what he wants to do with it. What an incredible attitude. That tells you all you need to know about Paul. All you need to know about is character. How much do you trust Jesus? Take a look at how he follows on with that passage. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but I will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. That attitude of, I'm, I'm, I just don't want to be ashamed. I don't want to fail Jesus. I don't want to lose my character, lose my Christianity. I don't want to shame Jesus. It doesn't matter if I live or die. If I live, it's as if Jesus is alive because that's all I'm going to talk about. If I die, I gain. I get to be with Jesus. He's in prison facing execution fairly soon and he considers himself winning regardless of the situation because of Christ that's an amazing attitude Paul goes on and says he'd actually like to die now he doesn't mean be executed in that stage I don't think Paul if we understand contemporary accounts of him was not in good health he, uh, he didn't look good. He had a hunched back. He had uh, a whiny voice. He was balded. Uh, he, he often um, had difficulty breathing and speaking. In fact, he even talks about, I didn't come to you with strong words. I didn't come to you with pervasive, per, uh, persuasive speech. He struggled somehow in health. And he's saying, you know, it would be better off for me if I just died and went to Jesus. But I know that some of you need me so maybe, maybe I'll stay here for a while. But regardless of what Jesus requires, I will be fine. His attitude is amazing. And it's one of those attitudes we need to adopt. And that is this, that this world, this universe, and our church is not about us. It's about him. And we need Paul's attitude, which is really the attitude of John the Baptist. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, John the Baptist was the most popular guy in the whole area. But John the Baptist shut it down immediately, pointed at Jesus and said, he must increase, I must decrease. That's the attitude. So let's fast forward for a little bit so that you can grasp why Paul felt this way. In chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, this is particularly important during our season here in the United States. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, when I'm done reading this, keep it up for a little bit, would you please? Who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. 
If you are politically involved, that's fine. If you are interested, that's fine. But please note, we are Christians. Therefore, our citizenship is where? Heaven. If you didn't hear the four that said it. Let's try it again. Our citizenship is in? Thank you very much. And we eagerly await a savior from Washington, D.C. No. We await a savior from heaven. Far too many times we have been fooled into believing we can elect a solution to the world's problems. We cannot. All we can do is kneel before the one who is the solution to the world's problems and elevate Jesus. For that is our citizenship. We are from somewhere else. In my life, growing up, it was a bit difficult because people would say, where are you from? And the answer was complicated. I, I was born in America, raised everywhere else, brought, you know, we came back and forth constantly. I, I, I'm not from here. And then that caused a lot of jokes, obviously. You know, you know speaking of as an outsider, Patrick, what do you think of the human race? And I'm going, no, that's not exactly what I mean. I'm, I'm from around here, but this isn't my home. I'm going somewhere else. When we lived and worked in West Virginia for eight, almost nine years, uh, it, we loved it, absolutely loved it. But you'd come across many people who had never been more than 30 miles from where they'd been born. They're so loyal to their county, to their town, to their school, that they never felt the need to, to travel at all. I found that in a larger sense when we would go visit Cammie's relatives in Texas uh, and they, we would say, you need to come to see us in Scotland. They'd go, no, it's not in Texas. <laughs> we'd be in Colorado and we'd say, we're looking out these vistas of great mountains. It, it's, it's only a day's drive. Come on up and see us. No, it's not in Texas. I, you know, I'm not making fun of that. I just, I don't have any basis to understand it. I, I've always been one of those guys moving about. This impresses me that Paul says, let's lay aside Roman, lay aside Jewish, lay aside all the tribals and say our citizenship belongs to Jesus and that's our savior. We have a king. And in this election year, no matter who wins, our king is still king and he will not be shocked off the throne he was there before america he'll be there after america he'll be there the entire time it the only question is are we bowing to the right god that's why paul can say this in chapter 1 starting at verse 27 whatever happens conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of christ now remember the, he might die fairly soon unjustly and he's telling his people, even if that occurs, you don't act in a non-Christian way. You don't attack the other Christians that put me in here. You don't attack the system that did this. You behave like Jesus. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the spirit, in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. 
For it has been granted to you on behalf of, of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. In other words, people, when we suffer, all we're doing is walking in the footsteps of Jesus. We're walking in the footsteps of Paul. That's our road. We are pilgrims. We are strangers here. I, I wrote a blog for years and years before the, the blog uh, host went down. I was able to save a lot of it, but it was called Tent Pegs. And the idea of it was, we need to pull up the tent pegs. We drive in tent pegs constantly and say, this is our place, this is what we're doing. Instead, we should be moving. We're pilgrims, we're strangers. Our founder was a man on the move. Have you ever noticed that before? God on the move. One of my favorite passages is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, is that asking for a lot? He's going to define it. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen, church? That's who we are. We empty ourselves. We face our leader, our King, our Savior, and we have no other. He started this by traveling. Now, you can think of the distance as from the throne room of God to here, wherever heaven is, but dimensionally, who knows how that works? So let's do it a different way. How about from the throne room of God to the body of an infant? He started by traveling. One day, there's a boy, and then a young man. We don't have that story, but he would have taken off the carpenter or stonemason apron, laid it aside, dusted his hands off, walked out of the shop and closed the door for the last time and started walking. And for three and a half years, he walked, he gathered, he talked, he loved, he healed, he touched, he showed us how to behave and kept telling people, follow me. He said, you know, even the birds have nests and the foxes have holes to live in, but I don't have a place to lay down to call my own. And he wasn't complaining. He was saying, try this. Now, there's nothing wrong with owning stuff. But let me give you a, a little example. Friday, I drove down to Dothan, Alabama to do a youth rally for a bunch of different uh, churches there and did that yesterday and Friday night and yesterday and got back last night. When I packed for the journey, I packed a change of clothes and some toiletries, which I've never understood why we call those toiletries. They don't actually. Anyway. Um, anyway, I got distracted there myself. Um, but I didn't roll up the carpets at my house and throw them into the back of the truck. 
I didn't load all the guitars in the back. I didn't grab my books and put those in. I didn't get the point. Why? Because it wasn't going to be there long. We should remember we're not going to be here that long. Don't pile it up. It's just going to be rubbish for your, your children and grandchildren to go through saying, what do we do with this? Don't pile it up here. We're not going to be here that long. One time, um, I, a man kept saying, told me I needed to go to the doctor, I needed to go to the doctor. And I said, and I would throw it off saying, why, is he sick? Does he need prayer or something? And they're going, no, you need to go to the doctor. And I finally looked at him and I said, I understand what you mean, but I want to ask you a question. We're both travelers. When you go and rent a car, how many times do you rent a car a year? He rented it one about 20 or 30 times a year, and I did two at that time. And I said, how many times have you ever washed a rental car? He thought about it, and he said, never done that. I said, exactly. I'm just renting this. You know, I'll do the, ma I'll do the maintenance, but I'm not worried about it because I'm not keeping it. It's not going to last that long. We are citizens of a different place. Now, you might be thinking, but no, we should be taking our vitamins and exercising, and, and you can do that. You can really do it. You'll look so much better in a casket. I, will, I, I admit, <laughs> you will. I'm not saying don't take care of yourself. Don't overtake what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this. We get fixated on this. Half of our commercials are on drugs you can't even go get, but you're supposed to go ask the doctor for now because you're, you, you might need them. The other half of the commercials seem to be on things you need to pile up in your home or that you need to have gold and silver to protect yourself. We have Jesus. We're going to be all right, whether we live or whether we die. One step to following God is to lighten your load. A rule of travel, trust me, I've Traveled everywhere, it seems, and not everywhere. A couple of places I still need to get to, but love to travel. Here's the rule of travel. When you're all done packing, unpack. Put it all on the bed and put the money you're going to take on the bed as well. Take half as much stuff, twice as much money. Really, trust me on this. You will thank me for this. Lighten your load. Paul lists all of his qualifications. And then he says this in chapter 3 and verse 7. But whatever were gains for me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. He had listed all of his qualifications and then he said, you know, but I look upon that all as wasted time because when I was doing all of that, I wasn't talking about Jesus. When I was gathering all of those, I wasn't thinking about Jesus. I'd lost that time. I wasted time. Now that he's in prison, he says, oh, I've got all the time. And I consider myself to have gained only by being willing and able to lay aside all the things in the world is then Paul able to say, I'm ready to suffer for Jesus. Our God is a God on the move. And those who follow him move. Read the Bible. It's a journey story. People are always on the move. 
they never arrive at the point where they will have arrived. They're always on the move. You and I are too. Any church content with maintaining their tradition and doing what they've always done has set up camp. And we're not, we're not authorized to set up camp. We have been told to move. The problem is, you see, the Spirit keeps moving. God moves on. Jesus moves on. And we are to move on. Chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. By the way, that's one of the best sentences in the English language, and he wrote it in Greek. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Forgetting what is behind, because you'll never travel on if you're carrying that with you. And that means everything from traditions to grudges, to hurts, to injustices, to, what, to, to besetting sins, whatever they are, you've got to jettison it and lighten your load and move on. Was, was uh, with a man once, and he was driving, and a man pulled out in front of us, and we had to slam on the brakes. It was, it was an arrogant move on the other man's part. He did it because he didn't care. It wasn't a mistake. When my friend laid on the horn, the guy flipped an obscene gesture at us and drove off. My friend began to fume. Fifteen minutes later, he was still fuming. I looked over at him. I said, how long have you known that guy? And he said, I, I don't know him. I said, oh, I assumed he was a good friend of yours. He says, why are you saying that? I said, well, you've been carrying him around for 15 minutes. <laughs> you know, I don't want to go all frozen on you, but you do have to let it go. <laughs> no, no, you boo if I sing. <laughs> I'll show you how to boo, but... Uh, That's when he reminds them, your citizenship is in heaven. Move on. Don't get stuck. And he applies that principle to two women about whom we have no information at all. But this is a brilliant thing. Take a look at this in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Sentiki to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the, in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, you may wonder why I find that fascinating. Yodia and Sendiki, two women fighting about something. And Paul says, I, I plead with both of you, agree with each other. And he doesn't say who was right. He doesn't say what the problem was. He doesn't say who he'd rather win. He just says, because none of that matters. Just agree and move. We need to have that same attitude. And frankly, church, one of the reasons I love you is I think you, most of us have that attitude here. I think that's one of the reasons why this church is growing, because it wants to move with God rather than get stuck in what's happened before. Not just tradition, but with 
attitudes and angers and hurts. Churches get stuck, people get stuck, but it's time to move on. Jesus moved on. The fire and the cloud in the Old Testament moved on. We follow Jesus. We move on. We're not afraid to suffer. We're not afraid of the new. We're not upset when people attack us or even preach against us because we're not here to resolve those issues. We're here to reflect our Lord and to reflect upon him. Paul gives us what one man that I know wrote years ago calling God's leash law for the mind. Chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, and how finally this would be. Think of what he was thinking when he wrote, finally. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. That's your leash law. If you're thinking a thought that's not lovely, that's not kind, that's not, yank yourself back. Keep in that place. Mark, I'm going to have you bring your, your group back up. I'm going to step down and have all of us read a passage together. I hope you enjoyed Philippians. I, I think of Philippians as really one of my favorite books. And I've often said, I want Philippians to verses really 1 through 11 read at my funeral. Um, don't come up and tell me you're free Tuesday, uh, but that's, I want that read there because I really, you know, I don't even want a tombstone. I've always told my family, just cremate me and scatter my ashes in no particular place because I'm not from anywhere. But if I get a tombstone, what I want you to write on it is whoever you, whoever is reading this, Patrick would have loved you because God loves you. Now leave. <laughs> Walk on. Would you stand and read with me, please? Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus and walk on. God bless you.